In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, my guy Leaf Chulene is back. And in this episode, I'm going to ask Leaf, who were the most, I don't want to call them losers. I've seen a bunch of articles where guys are labeled as losers. I'll just say the guys that were the most disappointing, but I also want to find out the guys that Leaf was high on that they're playing summer league reassured him why he was so high on them. Stay tuned. Big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. And my co-host, Leaf Tuling, mentioned Leaf in the opening. Leaf watches more college basketball than anyone else. And there's quite a bit of time between now and the next college basketball season. So I want to ask Leaf, like, what are you going to be doing the next few months? I mean, maybe watching old film, maybe watching some new guys that uh, for the next process that are in college hoops. And I watched a lot of Wimbledon recently, so that was that was fun for me. Yeah, I haven't watched any tennis. So I've been watching 2024 guys. And for some reason, I just decided to start off with like mid-major sleeper guys. And I was up last night watching film. And then I found a new trick that if I upload the clips on my iPad and then go on the treadmill and walk on the treadmill for about an hour while I upload clips. I kill two birds in one stone. I get in shape and then I also learn about different prospects, but it can be hard because I'm, I'm watching on my iPad and then I'm trying to type the notes in my phone. But um, I started off last night doing some mid-major guys. I want to make it a habit. I try to do it for 21 straight days. So I'm going to try to do it do it tonight, which makes which makes uh, day number two. All right, so let's. But actually, before we get into that, let's talk about FanDuel, which is the sponsor for today's show, and it is the official sports book of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com/slash/LockedOn today to get started. All right. So, like I mentioned in the opening, I want to talk about, and again, I don't want to call the guys the biggest losers. I've seen multiple articles calling guys the biggest winners or the biggest losers. I think loser probably a little bit unfair to to label them that. But who are the players that you are a little bit concerned about their play or you were just disappointed by their overall performance? Who's the first guy that stands out to you? I'd say Kobe Bufkin just because he came into the draft process with all this hype. Like there was a chance he'd be a top 10 guy. Uh, He falls to 15 and, and they're like, oh, that's a really good pick for the Hawks. And he just was so inefficient. And I'm not saying that I expect absolute efficiency from rookies, but I expect a little more efficiency. Um, But I will say he competed hard. He played hard on defense. And I'm not horribly worried, but I would say that there's a little bit of more concern coming into the um, like training camp and, and in terms of like if I was optimistic going in, if I'm a Hawks fan, I'm a little more concerned now. And I don't really typically overreact to this stuff. But when you look at some of the people he was drafted near, he's he had a significantly worse uh, showing than some of the players that were both a little bit ahead of him and a little bit behind him. I think he's in a difficult situation in Atlanta in the first place. You you would hope if you're selected that high that you have a chance to compete for the starting job. 
And as of today, he has no chance to compete for a starting job. You have two guys that are $100 million contracts. Atlanta re-signed DeJounte Murray. Then, you know, Trey Young is, 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 is the franchise guy and the star. And so it's like, I mean, what, what's his best case scenario? I don't even think it's six man. I think maybe seventh, eighth, ninth, ninth man. Do you think that kind of has an impact on it? Because I know like usually if you're selected that high, you feel like, you know, I'm I'm big in the franchise's future. Not saying that he's not, but he has an uphill battle to get minutes. And the Hawks are expected to compete and 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 be a a playoff team next year. Do you think that kind of has a, a a different impact as as opposed to like a guy like Keontae George, where he can probably figure like at the very minimum I'm going to be in the top seven. Keontae could probably end up being the starting point guard on, on opening night. I'd be surprised if Keontae George is the starting point guard on opening night. I I think he's the point guard of the future. But if you look at Jamal Murray, CJ McCollum, some of his comp- uh, comparisons they started 10 games in two years combined um as for kobe buffkin i agree like i didn't anticipate when he landed in atlanta that he'd actually play a big role i just am more concerned with what i saw in terms of a lottery caliber pick someone who like most people thought fell by the end of the draft looked like he didn't pop at all i'm not saying all rookies have to pop to the degree that Keontae george did or even to the degree that um, you saw flashes of from any of the Brandon Miller, Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson. I, I don't expect that from a rookie, but I expect him him to have positive play if he plays as much as he did. And I would say just the efficiency was alarmingly poor. And and it was not necessarily that he was taking bad shots. It's just I didn't feel like he was getting great ones either. Um, and so that concerns me. Sometimes misses happen, but it's like the um, the way that the misses happened w- was a little bit concerning. All right, answer this for me. So he was a guy that I felt like didn't have any really like glaring weaknesses. I thought he was pretty good at a bunch of different things. The only thing I can say that I thought he was truly, truly special in was finishing at the rim, just based off of his percentages. Was that concerning that he was inefficient at the rim? A little bit, and, and I actually vividly remember having a conversation with Richard Stamen while we were at the Combine about Kobe Bufkin. I, I asked him, just like, sell me on Bufkin, because I had Bufkin about 20 at that point. And I knew he was a draft darling by many, but every time I watched him, I saw the numbers would be good, but I didn't see any, like, traits that stood out enormously to me. And as I watched more, I kind of convinced myself into the traits because I see these numbers, and then I was like, oh, he does it from the mid-range. He does it from three. He... He can finish unbelievably in, in college basketball, but it never like wowed me, if that makes sense. So he was, a, he was like um, uh, good at a lot of traits, master of none is the way I'd put it. And then finishing, I think he was really good at, at the college level, but it wasn't because he was a dynamic athlete, which concerned me. Like he's a good athlete, but not dynamic. And so, yes, I would to answer your question, I think because he was getting shots that weren't like terrible shots and he was this efficient, I am a little bit concerned about how his finishing and scoring translates. Speaking of guys that the numbers stood out, but they didn't pop, I had this conversation. I mentioned it on a previous podcast. I spoke to some scouts, and that was their their thoughts about Brandon Pajemski. And I know there was one scout that was just still not sold. He was like, man, when I watch him play, 
I'm just still not convinced that he's going to be a really good NBA player. But then he mentioned, you look at the stat sheet at the end of the game and you're like, wow, he had 20 points and eight rebounds and five assists. Were you concerned about his struggles with efficiency? Um, It's different for him because I think his best attributes passing and I'm not worried about him as a shooter. So the fact that he was inefficient on shooting doesn't bother me because I, I really buy his shooting process. Like he had a quote, I, I talked to him at the combine. He said, I'm a hooper who can shoot, not a shooter who can hoop. Um, and, and it's, it's hard to, it's hard to really make, make me think that he can't shoot or pass. I just don't know how much his guile like guides him to score in other, in other ways, other than shooting the basketball, but I do believe he can pass. So I'm more concerned about the same concerns that I had prior to the draft of defense, um, and what, how, just how far his lack of NBA, like athleticism and pop takes him. Because I do believe he can pass and I do believe he can shoot. Um, it's just what situations will the Warriors put him in that behoove his skill set? Uh, did he? I thought he tested well at the combine. Was that true? Did he test well athletically? Uh, I I thought it was, I thought it was solid. It was better than expected, but like, I think it was always going to be um, craft and guile based scoring and, and, and abilities. I, th- I think defensively he alleviated some concerns by playing well there at the combine though. All right. Who else stood out to you as far as they raised some eyebrows is a little bit concerning with their play or lack of production or efficiency. Well, I mean, there's some players that didn't play enough, so I don't want people coming after my head for being like, oh, like Taylor Hendricks of the Jazz didn't play. Like, that doesn't concern me that much uh, from the perspective of like, oh, wow, he he didn't do great. Um, there's a couple players that I think could have been better in more games, like they played well in a short term. Um, like, for instance, Jaime Hawkins was awesome at the California Classic. And then you could, but I, I attribute that a lot to him being older, more ready to play. I would say the same thing about Murray for the Blazers. Um, but those guys didn't wow me later on. Um, and I don't know if that's fair just because I anticipate that the older players will play better. And yeah. so maybe the fact that as the play, the play gets going, I, I was less impressed, kind of bothered me. I, I don't know if that's a fair com, uh, complaint. Did Hawkins play in, in Las Vegas? I think he played one that I watched, but but I was I was I was so impressed with the first game. I think yeah. I was just like set myself up for failure. All right, let's talk about Jairus Walker. I know he struggled with some efficiency. I was at the game against the Wizards, and I sat pretty close, and I sat next to some agents, and and they weren't hating; they were just just making just you know just chatter, and they were like, "Man, he is a monster on the defensive end." I mean, they were talking about how he's blocking shots. He's all over the place, defending the space, quick hands. But one was like, I don't know how he's going to score on offense. And then he struggled that game. And then I remember the next game, I want to say he might have had like 16 points and he looks he looks good. But other than that, it felt like offensively, he doesn't have a defined like role, what he does on the offensive end. It's kind of like Bufkin in a sense, like, like he does some things well, like he passes well. He he just but there's not that one thing where you can say, all right, he's gonna give us on the offensive end every night that we can depend on. What's your thoughts on his struggles or lack of efficiency? 
I'm not too concerned about Jairus Walker just because his intangibles are so high. Like he defensively is already going to be awesome. Offensively, I think his passing was so impressive that it almost alleviated my concerns about the shooting that is a little inconsistent at this point. I think that's going to get better. And I think when he plays with Tyrese Halliburton, with Andrew Nemhard, with Benedict Matherin, and then you factor in some of the young players like Isaiah Jackson or Obi Toppins, I, I really think that there's a way that he gets a lot of uh, easy buckets. And it's not something that you I'm worried about him finding his own creation. He's going to score opportunistically and then be a, a really good intangible player on the other end. And then his time will come to score the ball and, and develop. So, I mean, as it was, he still scored 14 points a game in the summer league. It wasn't super efficient, but I'd say there was more good than bad from Jairus Walker. And, and I'll admit, this is something that I, I'm high on in general. Um, I, I really liked his process of how he developed into this role player at Houston that I think will be the exact same role at the next level. Um, So that, that archetype I typically tend to favor, but I'm not too worried about Jairus Walker. All right. When we return, I want to get your thoughts on the players that you were high on that played well, that reassured your confidence that you are good at what you do. But let's talk about FanDuel. FanDuel was the title sponsor of this episode And it is Major League Baseball season. It's the only thing going on right now. So with Major League Baseball, take your first swing at betting on baseball at FanDuel. You can get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. If you just bet 20 bucks, you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. It's all on the app. It's safe. It's secure. And it's super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. So sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on, and you can get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel is the official partner of Major League Baseball and locked on. Once again, big thank you to everybody that has listened, made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first, your second, your third, your fourth. Just thank you for listening, and we really appreciate it. As I mentioned yesterday, this draft cycle is coming to a close, and it is now time to talk about the 2024 NBA draft. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. I already had one episode where I talked about a few guys that I think are in the running to be the number one pick in next year's draft. It's it's so unclear right now. There's not a a Wimbenyama. I don't even think there's like a, a Cade Cunningham or Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro argument in this year's draft, but it makes it all the more interesting to me. So stay tuned. In future episodes, we'll be talking about uh, the players that are going to stand out or we think will stand out in the 2024 class. But let's get back to Summer League. Who was the player that you were high on? I know we we talked about it in, in the last episode, but who was someone that you were really high on and you watched them in Vegas or just in, in Summer League in general and you were like, yep, I got this right? I mean, the main one for me is Leonard Miller. Uh, Leonard Miller, I think I started driving the hype train um, at, in like March and I, I just couldn't, I never hopped off the hype train. I kind of knew his stock was falling a little bit, but I had him as my, in my lottery for better part of four months uh, leading up to the draft. And I watch him play 
and it's the exact same thing he did at the G League at the summer league level. And that's not super surprising, but you factor in, it's not like he was older and playing in the G League. He was young. He was pro- productive. He was able to score the ball. You even saw some skill. He had like a one-legged fadeaway at one point in one of the games. And you just see rebounding points. He fills up a stat sheet. He's he's projectable that you can play in different types of lineups, be a plus defender, a positive on offense because of his energy. And, uh, I mean, at 33, I think that's the best value of any pick in the NBA draft. Will the Spurs regret trading Leonard Miller? Probably. Uh, have you envisioned like a Leonard Miller Wimbenyama front court? Like what that would look like? I mean, G- Jeremy Sohan does a lot of what Leonard Miller does, but but yeah, no, I I don't understand. I don't understand how he could have fallen. Like I, I've tried to understand this. Like why would why would teams picking in the twenties not be interested in that type of player with potential, and then they take players that that are kind of like these like four-year players, like long-term commodities. And it just, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. And maybe that's just my viewpoint, but that's one I felt really confident in. And there's a couple of ones that I think were a little tricky, but one of them that I, I had the conversation with you really early in this process that I saw Osor Thompson was a point guard. He just was being cast as a two guard. And I know because he plays for the Pistons, there's Cade Cunningham, there's Jaden Ivey. But if you watch the summer league, when he had the ball in his hands, great things happened. And so that's one I think I'm right. I just may not be able to see it in the regular season. I still don't like the fit. I I, I like how he played. I think that he would have been better suited to go to a team where he could be the primary ball handler. I think Detroit is going to have some real spacing issues. And, and, and I get it. And I've said it all along that, yes, you draft the best player available. But if you take the best player available and the fit isn't good – then I mean you you're back to square one. So I, I know Pistons fans aren't gonna like like me saying this, but I just think that he would have been better off in in a, in a better situation because I think that he is best used as at the minimum a secondary. And with Detroit, is he is he is he gonna be their secondary ball handler? I don't know. I mean if it works out then, I mean, Detroit's going to look like geniuses because they have three guys that can initiate a pick and roll and handle the ball and make plays for others. But I just wonder if it's a situation where Cade has the ball and he's on the floor with Thompson and, and Ivy, even though Ivy was decent, a respectable shooter, and then you, you, you pair them with Duran and, and, and maybe Wiseman. And put it like this, I just feel like Bogdanovich is going to have to be on the court at all times to to loosen up the floor or, or create some spacing because Detroit just has a some some major spacing issues. All right, who is another? Actually, I want to ask you about Leonard Miller. What team do you think made the biggest mistake by passing on Leonard Miller? I know I have the team in mind that I think I thought they should have taken him, and that's that's the Brooklyn Nets. Who's the team for you? I actually liked what the Nets did with their picks, but I would still have taken Leonard Miller over Noah Clowney and Derek Whitehead. Like I, I would have still said that the Nets made good picks there. Um, one I like, I, I think that comes to my mind is the Blazers at twenty three. Um, I, I think that that's a guy who would have fit any timeline for them, and he's a better player than Chris Murray as four years younger. Um, I think. This is a funny one because I think Heat culture, Jaime Hawkins is like the perfect fit. But Leonard Miller going to the Heat, you know, he he's does a lot of what Bam Adebayo does. 
And I'm not saying he's going to, would it be, I don't think he'll be as good as man. Like it's just unreasonable, but like uh, I would have probably very strongly considered taking him there. Um, so, I mean, honestly, other than the Cam Whitmore pick at 20, I would have made a strong case for Leonard Miller at any of them, just because I believe in what he, what he brings to the table. But those are the ones that stand out to me. All right. When we return, I want to find out if there were any other players that you were really high on that, that, that made you feel like, yep, I, I got this one right. Stay tuned. All right, last segment. Who's another player that you were high on that that you thought that he performed well and it further um, solidifies your, your confidence in your, sky, in your scouting eye? I mean, the easy the easy one is Cam Whitmore, but I don't want to I don't want to choose that. But I just want people to understand that Cam Whitmore is really good at basketball, and whether or not that means that he's going to be a All NBA talent or not, like like he has the crazy athleticism uh, to do. I just want to point out that he's the one that fell that I think should have been taken higher, regardless of what the reports were. Um, this is one that's that's funny because it's a roller coaster. Uh, Keontae George. When I started my evaluation, I had he and um, Anthony Black coming into the year as my two of my favorite guards. And so both of them kind of moved down as the year happened because I went to March Madness, Keontae George had a sprained ankle, and Anthony Black was starting to kind of run into these defenses that just made it really hard for him. And so Keontae George, I, I labeled as Jamal Murray when he played in the global games of July of last year. And I was like, man, this guy's a top seven pick. And then, of course, he goes to my jazz. And so I ended up with him at around 12, I think. And that may have been too low. But I trusted my gut from what I saw before as opposed to what I saw at the very last game of the season when they played Creighton. So I'm a little pr- I'm proud of myself in that regard. And I'm seeing what I saw then. Um, and then as for Anthony Black, I couldn't unsee how he was my favorite prospect for the jazz um, for the first three months of the college basketball season and I had him as a top six pick and then all of a sudden I I'm like hearing all this oh Anthony Black won't be able to do this he's Michael Carter Williams and I I think this negativity got to me I started moving him down at the I just decided at the end of the year I'm going to watch film and I'm going to trust my gut and I ended up with him at seven I thought the NBA spacing looked extremely conducive for success for a guy like Anthony Black who goes downhill reads the lanes passed the ball well scored efficiently um, so I, I think that kind of talks to the the process of scouting where you have to block out the negative noise and trust what you see. And those are two that I think I did a good job of seeing what I wanted to like what I thought I saw to begin with and blocked out what I'd heard and wanted to make myself believe in order to like play it safe. Um, so I think that was a good, good evaluation. All right. Last player that I want to get your your, your feedback on is Hunter Tyson. Where did you have Hunter? And I mean, I would assume that you were surprised <laughs> by his play. I mean, if you just broke it down by, like, let's say we just did a redraft after summer league, he's definitely like one of the the, the highest picks. But where did you have Hunter Tyson, and what were your thoughts on on watching him play? I I had him outside of my top fifty eight actually. Um, so I I'm not surprised he shot it well. That was not surprising whatsoever. He was another guy at the combine. He had a few threes in this one quarter. I can't remember what quarter. I think it was the second game. And I was like, oh, he can shoot it. But I just couldn't imagine him playing defense at the NBA level. And I'm, I'm not sure he will. 
but I, I, I mean, that was a great summer league showing. He shot well, he rebounded, and you knew he was a good college player, but he never like stuck out to me um, while watching Clemson play. And I saw plenty of Clemson watching ACC basketball. And you, you almost say like athletically, PJ Hall looked better, but Hunter Tyson was the better athlete by a mile at the combine. And then he shoots it lights out and he's on a team that you can project. Hey, if he gets some time, all he's got to do is shoot the ball well and be somewhat solid defensively. And you don't have to be excellent, but somewhat solid defensively. And you're going to get great looks and get rewarded for what you do. Well, Um, I think he'll have a role for kind of similar to what like Sam Hauser's role is. Uh, Somebody who can really knock down some shoot uh, threes and, and be an intangible, intelligent defender. And yeah, I think he's carved out a role and I'm happy for him that I was wrong because I, I didn't see him as an NBA player. Were you surprised at the like the ball handling and, and just like the playmaking flashes that he showed? Uh, not not really. I think at Clemson, he had the ball in his hands a lot. So I, I saw some of that. I just didn't expect him to have that role, if that makes sense. Like I'm not stunned that he could do it. Uh, I just didn't expect him to be showcased in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people just kind of put him in the box as just a shooter, a floor spacer. But yeah. like you said. I'm I'm guilty as charged in that one. But, I mean, like you knew that he could do more, but I, I'm assuming you're saying that you just boxed him in as a shooter on the NBA level. Yes, exactly. And so that's why I was surprised to see the role that he played with the Nuggets, even in the summer league, just because I expected him to be a pick-and-pop stretch four. And if he defended at an adequate level, he might make it two-way. But he went higher than I expected in the draft because I think he showed well in the combine, must have done well in workouts. And then I I was like, oh, yeah, I can see him doing well in summer league. But he exceeded all expectations and, and showed that he's got the game to do more than what I anticipated at the NBA level. Yeah, one of the things I like about Calvin Booth is that I feel like I can put him in the category as – a decision maker that is unafraid to go against the consensus. Like last year with Peyton Watson, um, they did they trade up to get Christian Brown, which I think that was kind of in that range, but he surprised everybody on draft night by selecting Hunter Tyson. And it looks like it was a, a good choice. And then also with, with Pickett. And, and so, um, yeah, I just think he's in that category. And I would say like my decision makers that, don't care about the consensus is, you know, who's ever the, the, the key guy in charge in Miami, whether it's Riley or um, I can't think of the other guy's name that that's, that's their, their general manager. Garrison. Uh, what's that? Mick Garrison. That's the owner. Oh, yep. Well, no, Mick, yeah, yeah, Mickey's the owner. Um, But Masai goes against the consensus. I mean, we saw that by taking Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs. Everybody thought he was going to take Suggs. Um, Sam Not Presti. Me. Well, I mean, you know, you're you're a leaf. You're one of the best actors. I think Sam Presti goes against the grain. Um, the Spurs front office. I know Brian Wright. I think he has the title, but I don't know if he's the final decision maker. And then um, uh, I think that's that's about it. But anyway, long story short, not everybody is willing to like take a guy that's projected to go in the fifties or undrafted and they select him at, at 37. And like I said, it just worked out for Calvin Booth. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Once again, thank you for making Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first, second, third listen of the day. And also, thank you for just tuning in through this 2023 draft cycle. And it is time to move on to 24. 
And in the next episode, I want to talk about a few players that I've studied from next year's class that I think have a good shot at being lottery picks. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow with Leaf Tulane, and I am out. We are out. It's, it's, we are out.